is a liar. Amen. 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 Gentlemen, I am privileged. Ron and I are privileged. We are privileged as a community uh, to sit in the circle of men and women who go through that every day. That is so real to me. Mm -hmm. um, fear is a liar. And what a beautiful, redemptive peace when men have a context, a place, and a space to share their fears and, and get that loved. And man, dude, I'm full mm. of deer camp uh, right now. <laughs> I've got deer camp hangover in the most <laughs> wonderful way coming out of our uh, weekend this past weekend. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. It, it might have been the best one ever. Uh -huh. There's no doubt it was the best one I, ever. Could be. It was the best one ever. <laughs> Amen. Mm. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like a man. Mm. Be strong. Words in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. So guys, follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Marine Jesus, he is with you always, just like your rifle. Simplify, always faithful. To be a Marine means a daily commitment to live up to the highest standards. Being a Marine means to be ever accountable to the warrior ethos, which adheres to these fundamental truths. Character counts. Honesty is incorruptible. And integrity means everything. We need our Christian commitment to be more marine-like than what our culture has made Christian men to be. <laughs> Jesus modeled a warrior-like character. When we discover his true character, we uncover the real Jesus. A true knowledge of Jesus is our greatest need and our greatest happiness. I want to pause right there and I'll come back and, and finish the introductory paragraph. I want to show you something that just came across um, my awareness this past week. Modern Jesus versus biblical Jesus. <laughs> Something's happening behind me. I can't, I can't see that now. I know it's up there. But uh, modern Jesus. Now, look at this for a minute. Modern Jesus preaches only love. Only love. Only love. You know, mm -hmm. only love. But Jesus preaches God's righteousness, biblical Jesus. Modern Jesus mm -hmm. gives you health and wealth. Well, what do you do when you get sick? Biblical Jesus gives salvation, hope, peace, and joy in the midst of um, tragedy. Modern Jesus never says anything negative. You're being negative. Negative. But biblical Jesus warns of sin, judgment, and hell. I don't believe in a hell, somebody says. Really, dude? Man. Look around. Look around. Well, what now? Do you call all this? You know? Modern Jesus, loved and accepted by the world. Really? Hated and despised by the world. Hated. Modern Jesus serves your will and not God's will. A biblical Jesus exalts God, the Father's will. 
And finally, modern Jesus hates to offend you or others. Really? Oh, dear. Oh, goodness. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. worried about somebody's yeah. feelings. Uh, Jesus, I mean, Rome's hopeless if that's the case. Uh, biblical Jesus offends the world with the truth. Here, hold my wine and watch this and throw a skunk in the room. Me, my little lamb, my therapy support animal. I just offended somebody and I'm, I'm so worried about it. Very concerned. So just finishing this last piece, this, uh, this study will help us to be the men God designed us to be, men willing to initiate, take responsibility, and to fight for a cause greater than ourselves. Mm. Simplify, mm. Marine Jesus. So I want to uh, show you just another uh, brief piece uh, of Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. Uh, he's a man's man part of the uh, um, initial Army Rangers back in the mid-70s and has fought many battle and his bio is uh, quite impressive, uh, but his heart for Jesus uh, is his legacy. Watch this. Thank you, are as a peak as you're the provider. Now, it's obvious that you provide the financial su support to the family. You, like a man that won't work, won't eat. And it is really sad today that we have a system that makes it more profitable for some men to do nothing than to actually get out and work. We've got to revise that. We've got to give them incentives because when a man doesn't work, well, we make it more profitable to sit at home, sit out on a corner and smoke cigarettes. We're robbing that man of his dignity. We're robbing him of his dignity. It's biblical that we should work. That we should work. There comes a time where you've, your, your, your work is done. You, you go into retirement. But that's when you go to the pastor. You say, Pastor, how can I help you? What can I do? You know, what would churches do if it were not for the retired men that no longer have to get up and go to work every day, but they're, they're, they still have the fire in their belly to be of service. The utprosim that I might serve, what would the churches do without them? But you have to provide financially, but you also have to provide direction for the family. You remember in Joshua, when Joshua had conquered the promised land and he had had really done everything that God had called him to do. He led the, he led the Jews out into the desert and he preached his own epitaph. And that's where he said to them, choose you this day which God you will serve. He came to the end and he said, but as for me and my family, is what he was saying, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. He was speaking for the family. He is the provider. He provides direction for the family. Dad, you may be the one that has to say to those four children, I know you don't want to leave Colorado Springs. It's where your friends are. You've grown up here, but there's an opportunity that I believe God's called me to do, and it's on the other side of the country. It's back in the East Coast, and we're moving. And then you're the guy that they, they think that you're just an ogre. But you're doing what you know is right for the family. And I've seen that repeatedly. You are the 
provider and you must provide direction for the family as well as providing for their financial needs. You can continue to watch that clip. The link uh, is there on your handout. But again, anything that Jerry Boykin uh, has uh, uh, written uh, or spoken on, uh, listen, 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 listen. So Jesus, cunning, cunning. I you to write down three words that come to your mind when I use the word cunning. Three words. What would you say cunning means? If you were kind of putting it in uh, your language, what would you say? Therapy, support, animal. <laughs> what I would say. Therapy, support, animal. Yeah. My little lamb yeah. that I carry. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite. It's very cunning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God help us. How about shrewd? Shrewd, the cunningness of Jesus. How about crafty? Crafty. Children, learn to be crafty. And mama grabs the children and puts them in the car. How about smart? That's what cunning means. Be smart or wise. You know, Dallas Willard, um, I think one of the greatest Christian minds uh, of our last century. Uh, one of the things that he talks about with Jesus is the brilliant mind, uh, certainly the most brilliant human being that ever walked the planet. Now, we don't often think of Jesus in those terms, but when you look at how Jesus operated and how he talked to people and how, I mean, it, it is amazing uh, how brilliant he was. But we don't often think of that. Uh, we think that he's just some backwoods carpenter or something. Or just loving Jesus, sweet Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it is amazing. Hmm. He calls us to be that as well. <clears throat> and if you're not engaging your mind, you may not even be following Jesus. Yep, amen. The antonyms, write down three words that come to your mind that would be the opposite of cunning. Three words that come to your mind that would be the opposite of shrewd, crafty, smart. Three words. Now guys, I don't know what three words that you wrote down, but sadly, I would suggest to you that those three words might be the description um, of what a perception of a Christian is. Certainly in our world, it's exactly what a perception of a Christian is. For example, uh, antonyms opposite of cunning, naive. Mm. That's how Christians are viewed, just naive. Gullible. You mean you believe that? And stupid. That's an antonym for cunning. Stupid. Naive. 
gullible and stupid. And guys, that's not what Jesus taught. And we're going to dig into that this morning. So I want you to pick up your pen or continue to hold your pen. You've got your pen already. Three questions. And I actually want to start um, with the question that was implied certainly by the song that's not on your uh, journal section in the notes. And I'll just ask you this. What are you afraid of? What do you fear right now? What comes to your mind? Dear Jesus, fear is talking to me. This is what I'm afraid of. Write it down. What are you afraid of? Because again, guys, I truly believe if you are serious about growing, then you've got to identify your fear and run to the fire and run to the fire. Face it. Not naively, not stupidly, not gullibly, but crafty shrewd and with great wisdom and certainly great wisdom means not alone don't do it by yourself second question what might Jesus be asking you to give up to prove he has your heart what comes to your mind And that's part of how Jesus dealt with the rich young ruler that we're going to look at this morning. What might Jesus be asking you to give up? So hard. You know, all through Scripture, money is used. Uh, you can't serve both God and mammon or money. The money's not the issue. It's, it's just that it's just so easy to grab our heart. It's like Velcro in the worst kind of way on our heart. There's nothing wrong um, with money in and of itself. Do great good with it. But it's bad when it captures our heart. Or that might be cheese pizza. I mean, what, you know, what cheese pizza has grabbed your heart? Uh, just kind of along those lines, you know, we talked about what, what are you afraid of? What do you mean fear? Uh, I've been, uh, probably a book I don't need to read. Uh, I need to read Why Men Love Going to Church. Uh, this book is Why Men Hate Going to Church. And I think it should be required reading for every pastor and every man uh, that goes to church or has some interest in it to understand while those guys out there got no interest in coming near anything even like this. And I don't know if you've noticed, but this ain't church. Um, and in chapter 10, he talks about 12 things men fear about church. Number one, I'll hate church like when I was a kid. Now, I didn't go to church as a kid, so I don't have that baggage. But most guys I talk to remember their drug problem, being drugged to church <laughs> and having to sit there and listen to some dude talk for an hour. Now, that is torture. I don't know. I think little girls probably tolerate that better than little boys, but I can't even imagine 
I, I think I'd have shot my parents in the middle of the night or something. That's like being waterboarded for a little boy. Number two, I'll lose control. I'll have to give up my control to somebody else. Number three, I'll get stuck with some weirdo. There are weird sheep in church. I don't know if you've noticed that, right? There's all kinds of sheep. And like, man, as a man, I don't want to have to go sit in a men's group or do some Sunday school class with a bunch of weirdos. That's a real fear. Number four, now this is not me, this is in the book, so any protest or uh, anything you need to write the author of the book. Number four, is he gay? Mm. Number five, if I become a Christian, I'll become soft. And I believe that's a very real fear, and I believe that is exactly what happens in kind of mamby-pamby Jesus land. And this is what we're talking about in this series. <clears throat> Number six, church is tough on single guys. And I'm not a single guy. I can't, I've been married. I think I came, I, I think I was born married. I've been married so long. So, but single guys have a fear around that. Number seven, Christians don't get much sex. Now the reason for that is that the church does not talk about sex. And the sad thing is that church has the answer, the healthy answer to the sexual brokenness that permeates this culture. And if you don't think you are infected by it, you are naive and you are wrong. We are all infected and affected by this pornified culture that we are living in. And it's one area as men, we need to get straight in our lives. Hmm. Number eight, church is full of hypocrites. That's so common. We hear that all the time. Number nine, all they really want is my money. Number 10, I'm jealous. <laughs> Now, I love this because he quotes the famous theologian Carl Hayes. Do you remember the first time you and I heard that song? Driving out in the boondocks of West Texas and headed to Colorado. Mm -hmm. And I woke everybody up. And the title of the song is, She Left Me for Jesus. <laughs> and that just ain't fair. She says that he's perfect. How could I compare? <laughs> Guys, we, we, we often as men have a hard time measuring up to the ideal that our wives have placed on us. Mm -hmm. And she will idealize the pastor and you need to be more like him. You're not a godly man. Mm -hmm. All of those things that, I don't know, we've all been told probably on some level. Because mm -hmm. she's comparing us to some fantasy. That guy standing up there on Sunday morning, God bless pastors, I wouldn't have that job for all the money in Fort Knox. <laughs> that guy standing up there, he ain't no different than you, me, or any other guy. 
He just learned how to parse Greek and Hebrew, and uh, he, he learned how to do a, a, a three-point sermon. He is a man. Number 11, I'm being held to an impossible standard. Most men walk around just with a sense that I'm just not enough. Yeah. I am inadequate. I don't measure up. And then I'm going to have to be held to this standard of perfection. We've talked about that even in a series like, like strength, Christianity. I got to be perfect and all of that. It's just total BS. Yeah. And number 12, I'm afraid of heaven. Like Kenny Chesney's song, everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now, right? <laughs> it's like, man, mm. we're afraid of that. But the reality is, you can go to heaven today. Mm. When we do business with Jesus, and we begin walking with him in a real way, and we invite him into our heart, and he begins to transform us from the inside out, now I'm able to endure the circumstances I'm in. Mm. And I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruits of the spirits are now manifested in me, and heaven is here. It is now. It's not out there over yonder somewhere in the sweet by and by. Mm. That is naive. That is wrong. That is not biblical. Mm. So if you want to go to heaven, go now. Amen. We see it. We get glimpses of it. Uh, it is now, but not yet. Now, but not fully realized until heaven. But so much of that which God uh, gives us and Jesus taught is available now. So final question is this. And I'll combine question two and three there on your sheet. How tough is your faith? Are you a quitter? How tough? Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a guy in this room that's not uh, facing um, relationships and circumstances that are challenging to you. Are you going to fight for or fight with? And God gives us battles to fight, people to fight for, and circumstances to fight for. But so oftentimes we just walk away and we surrender not to Jesus' power, but we surrender and are defeated um, through the fear that's in our head into the enemy. So turn over to Matthew 10 and let's dive in. Um, Jesus is instructing the disciples. Marine Jesus, here's the question I pose to you. How would Jesus have you be snake-like today? Alarm goes off, Christopher. It's seven o'clock. <laughs> I love that. How, Jesus, would you have me be snake-like today? I mean, who teaches that? What would Jesus do? Yeah, what would Jesus do? He would be snake-like. Oh, my goodness. What would Jesus do? I, you know, I want to be exactly what Jesus wants me to be. But when that WWJD thing came out, you know, the implication was, again, sweet and nice and don't ever say anything that might hurt somebody. And it's like Jesus taught, I want you to be snake-like. 
I mean, he taught this, the imitation of Christ. Do you love him for his cunningness? Jesus is shrewd, crafty, and wise. Okay, Johnny, how are you going to be shrewd yeah. this, this day? Yeah. What is that? I mean, it's just, we, we don't even think in those terms. We just think, man, be pamby, love everybody, be sweet, be nice. God help us. Matthew 10, uh, verses 5 uh, through uh, the end of that chapter, is Jesus' training session with the disciples. This is so cool. And I don't have time to read the whole training session. Uh, we're in the ceasefire training room. Training happens in here every day. Here's the training session. Jesus is teaching. And we'll just jump from verse 5 all the way down to verse 16. So we kind of pick it up in the middle of the training session. I mean, what if you walked in late to this training session and you just you, you didn't kind of miss the introduction? You missed the first part, and this is what you hear. Stay alert. I'm, I'm at verse 16. Stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you. Okay. <laughs> hazardous work? I thought this was going to be easy. You mean I might have to wear a hard hat, and this is like a construction zone or even a battle helmet? You know, this is hazardous. This is going to be hard. This is going to be dangerous. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. So don't call attention to yourself. You know, keep a low profile. Be more gorilla-like than just you know out there in the middle exposing yourself. And then this this is the hard part. Uh, or well, maybe maybe this is the difficult part with Jesus, and we don't teach this enough. Be as shrewd as a snake and inoffensive as a dove. Now that gorilla-like is not kind of monkey gorilla. It's like sniper gorilla. Just for purposes, purposes, right? ninjas running around. I call it undercover recovery, uh, recovering the life that God intended you to live. And I always tell guys, I if you listen to me, I've had guys even at deer camp, they'll go to Phil. They won't come to me. Like, is, is Rome, is he a Christian? And, and God, I love that so much. Because I hope, I hope everybody asks that about me. Because I, I don't want to be the run-of-the-mill kind of vanilla flavor of Christian that, that the church is producing today. And I am very involved in church. I have been since the day I came to Jesus, and I will be until the day I die. And I tell guys all the time, I'm, I'm just like, when I'm there, man, I got my radar up, and I'm looking for that guy who's got that look on his face. He's bored, he's tired, he's hurting, and he's just struggling. Mm -hmm. And I just go and I'll engage that guy and say, man, glad to see you. I'm Ron Hunter. We'll start talking. I'll see him the next Sunday. Eventually, I'm going to say what I do. I've got this thing 
that, that would do that I think you might like. Mm. You ought to come check it out. Mm-hmm. And I usually invite a guy here first because this is pretty safe, right? You don't have to say anything. He just gets a handout and he fills in the blanks. Hey, yeah, and he gets a free chicken biscuit. Thank you, C-Spot. <laughs> like, I mean, that, how can you lose, right? You get manna from heaven. <laughs> and then I'm like, dude, you ought to come check out our Friday morning group. Mm-hmm. Right? Just a men's group. Our, our stated purpose is this morning we gather to talk to assist one another in our common journey. And then eventually, I'm trying to rope him in, zip tying, duct taping, somehow getting to deer camp. Because mm-hmm. we have seen guys' lives change literally in a weekend. One of the things that I would just share uh, along what Ron is talking about, even this past weekend, um, Jeff um, came up Sunday morning and uh, did a great piece, uh, a meditation on forgiveness. Powerful. And guys, I, I bring that up in this context because it's like we start teaching um, the biblical Jesus around forgiveness. And man, you got to be tough. You mean you're actually suggesting that I forgive that? And in the meditation that Jeff took us through, uh, he just said, you know, he just kind of took us through and uh, allow um, Jesus to speak into your heart and what comes to your mind that you need to forgive. Oh, my goodness. You know, we didn't give him a list. Now, these are the things you need to forgive. You know, we actually opened our hearts to God and God started working in the hearts of men and they started sharing, you know, this is, this is what God brought to my heart. Dad gone and I wish he hadn't brought that, you know, Mm. but the cunning um, of Jesus, the shrewdness, the craftiness. And like, imagine yourself in, in this training session with Jesus and the disciples hear this be as shrewd as a snake and it's just like you want us to be that and jesus says yes what do you need to be cunning about even disruptive about what do you need to speak into that is evil and wrong and you've been keeping your mouth shut way too long you've been passive the passiveness of men or maybe you've just been angry about it and you've just been uh, creating more chaos. But how about shrewd and wise and you're willing to be disruptive? I mean, Jesus disrupted the whole Jewish system. Now, here's the key, though. If Jesus had not taught on genuine holiness in the idea of holiness is that there's boundaries on behavior. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be disruptive and I'm just going to do anything I want. That, no. You know, there's boundaries. And holiness sets us apart. We are be, to be the disruptors um, of evil. Mm-hmm. And we speak mm-hmm. into evil and we bring order. We don't create more chaos. And if Jesus hadn't taught on holiness, it would have been anarchy. 
I mean, people would have been fighting in the streets. But Jesus kept saying, you know, be shrewd as a snake. Hmm. Be shrewd as a snake. Bring order to the situation, but don't be afraid. Do not allow fear to rule over you. And here's another picture of chaos, again, out of the book that I don't need to read. Uh, it's talking about conflict in church. Conflict handled the feminine way. We talked about the feminization of church, and we are there. It, it is full-blown. <laughs> when two church members get crossways, do they settle it like men? Have you ever heard an elder say to a deacon, Henry, let's step outside and settle things mano a mano. <laughs> Maybe we should, right? Because here's what happens. Of course not. Most Christians would view a fistfight among believers as terribly unchristian behavior. Even a sharp public exchange of words is considered a horrible failure, something to be avoided at all costs. But conflict always comes. And how does the church handle it 99% of the time? The feminine way, allowing it to simmer just below the surface. The battling parties are polite in public, but vicious in private. Church battles routinely feature backstabbing, gossip mongering, and revenge. <laughs> All this takes place in secret and only church insiders know the details. Publicly, everyone grits his teeth and pretends things are just fine. Eventually, one warring party leaves the church, or in extreme cases, the congregation splits. Men cannot handle this drama. When a man gets drawn into a church cat fight, he's way out of his league. His heart tells him to fight it out, clear the air, and move on. Because that's what men do, right? <laughs> Women don't do that. But that's not how things work in most churches. So men quit showing up. There are legions of men who have given up on church because it handles conflict the feminine way. Mm. Well, guys, I have experienced that. I have been there, done that. And I have seen behind the curtain. And I know like you. I stay so far away from that crap. I, I just, it's ridiculous what goes on mm. and how people... Just the backbiting, and the, it, it's all there. Everybody's Christian until you begin to poke things like ego, sex, all the things that we all deal with. And you start poking that, we ain't very Christian. Mm. Holy and cunning. Holy. Be holy, and yet be shrewd and crafty. And smart. We don't appreciate Jesus' cunning because we insist on clinging to our naive view of the world. Because we're in a war. You know, maybe we should start wearing combat boots and helmets. It would remind us that we're in a war. We get a look as we close at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Man, this, this is the, the training session of Paul now. We get from the training room of Jesus to the training room of Paul. And this was like this was written 
this morning for us. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, we of course have plenty of wisdom. We would say plenty of cunning, plenty of shrewdness, plenty of craftiness to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground. But it's not popular wisdom. The fashionable wisdom of high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so, God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of his purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but more like the oldest, what God determined as the way to bring out his best in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. Mm-hmm. And then I just continue here. Verse eight, the experts of our day haven't a clue about what this eternal plan is. What? If they had, they wouldn't have killed the master of God-designed life on a cross. That's why we have this scripture text. Quote, no one's ever seen or heard anything like this. Never so much as imagined anything quite like it. What God has arranged for those who love him, unquote. Hmm. But you've seen and heard it. Have you? You've seen and heard it because God by His Spirit has brought it all out into the open before you. And guys, seeing the Spirit of God move in a group of men like you and me is a powerful picture of God. Mm -hmm. When Marine Jesus shows up and creates Marines, real men, that are willing to be shrewd and crafty and wise for the sake of the kingdom, dude, I'm all in. Praise you, Jesus. And men that are willing to face the enemy with truth and honesty and vulnerability about their lives. Mm. They quit pretending. They quit acting like everything is just fine. And they get real and they get honest. And they just, we we shake our fists in the face of the devil Mm. by simply those things that we've got hidden in secret, we just expose to the light. Mm. And he just runs off back under the porch like the stray dog he is. Mm. That's our our weapon. Mm. That is our greatest weapon. Mm. He can't hold it over you. He, and Jesus heals the shame. I think the most cunning, cunning thing about Jesus for me is his grace. And even in my own life, uh, the, the thing that I always think about is like, man, it, it was so cunning to place within me early in my life this sexual addiction, my thorn in the flesh. And that is the very thing that drives me to my knees in gratefulness and thankfulness every day today because it keeps me dependent on Him. And it keeps me involved and engaged. I always tell these guys, all this stuff that I do, I I ain't doing it for you because I'm selfish. I'm doing it for me because mm. I stinking need it. Mm. And I won't ever outgrow that. I won't ever have victory over this thorn. Mm. Just like Paul. What kind of God 
would give you all of this stuff that you're afraid of and ashamed of as a way to show his grace, aggressive forgiveness. Mm. What kind of God would do that? Somehow intend to use your weakness to display his power. That you know who so would do cunning. that? A cunning God, a cunning Jesus, shrewd and crafty and wise. Gentlemen, may you be snake-like today. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word, uh, for the gift uh, of your training. Um, and may we live out um, our uh, marching orders today in a wise and crafty and shrewd way as Jesus has modeled it for us. In his mm -hmm. name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.